from the New Media Project at the NYU School of Medicine and the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, short-legged beasties. If they don't migrate out, you cannot kill them because um, they can continue to migrate out during the sleep time, during the time when we sleep. They migrate out, they will mate. And the life cycle started then. When they mate, they will lay eggs, and the eggs will become lava. Lava will turn to adult. And then, of course, eventually the adult will die in about the average two to three weeks. But because they continue to mate as we aged, you tend to colonize more and more mites. First this. The Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education requires a financial interest disclosure before any CME activity. Dr. Tseng declares patent application. As seen from here, the first podcast for physicians, the first podcast to offer CME credit, and the first to offer multinational editions, is now co-sponsored by the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. The ASCRS recognizes the power of this new medium in communication and education of physicians everywhere. This partnership will allow us to bring new content to you and add new voices to our community. From Manhattan to Mumbai, from the Bay Area to Beijing, one conversation as seen from here. There is an arachnid crawling around, unnoticed, only millimeters from your patient's eye. Before we ask what we should do, we need to ask, should we do anything? I'm speaking, of course, of Demodex, and its effect on the eye aren't always benign. Shefford Tseng, an expert in this field, has just published a study on the corneal manifestations of ocular Demodex. Shefford Tseng, welcome to a scene from here. Can I get you to describe the Demodex mite? Sure. Demodex mice, they are, is part of the uh, family of mice, uh, maybe uh, more than two dozens of them in the entire universe, in the, uh, and in mostly inhabiting with, uh, in, the, uh, in the outside skin of uh, many species, and some are in the wild uh, uh, world, like uh, the house dust, for example, is part of the mice. And uh, uh, there are two uh, species of the mite of family that specifically affect uh, human uh, skin. And one is called Demodex folliculorum. The other is uh, Demodex brevis, B-R-E-V-I-S, brevis. And uh, they, they are, can be uh, easily distinguished uh, in the mic- under the microscope. So the mites are quite common uh, uh, in uh, affecting the um, mammalian skins. And these two species uh, uh, turned out to be uh, identified in uh, human skin. Rather than asking how common Demodex is, let me ask if there are any humans who do not have Demodex. Uh, If the kids, when they're born, the first uh, uh, two decades of life maybe, first decade, maybe second decade, the mice are infrequently found. But as they, um, we get older than that, there is an increasing um, prevalence 
of uh, mite uh, infestation uh, in the human skin and uh, equ um, affecting the, the both genders uh, equally. Uh, and then the older we go, almost 100% of the skin will be uh, infested. Where on the body does Demodex live, both the Demodex follicularis and the Demodex brevis? Uh, they live in the sebaceous unit, means that the hair follicle and the sebaceous gland. And uh, the Demodex folliculorum is thought to be affecting the hair follicle and the brevis tend to reside in the uh, sebaceous gland. And the folliculorum tend to be clustered more than one in one lashes. However, it is said the brevis tend to be solitary. So one sebaceous gland, maybe one uh, brevis, but they can co-inhabit co in the same uh, sebaceous unit. And uh, uh, so this uh, location is quite uh, deep. It's not on the surface of the skin. It tend to be buried deeper uh, into the hair follicle or sebaceous gland per se. The Demodex brevis. Yeah. On what does the Demodex feed? They live on primarily on the, the oil material from the sebaceous gland. So therefore, Demodex tend to be uh, found about, um, preferentially in the skin, in the location of the skin where the uh, sebum uh, is uh, expressed. For example, the facial skin, the, uh, the, the ear, the ear uh, canal, and uh, the rest of the body where you find, tend to find more oily uh, production. Outside of the eye, with what pathologies is Demodex associated? Yeah, uh, the, the pathologically, this has been well established that the, the skin, the lesion of the skin is a more like a papular, uh, papular folliculitis. So it's, uh, it gives you this uh, reddish and then the center in the follicle type of inflammation. This infiltration more centered around the hair itself. And there are different uh, terms of this, um, uh, uh, this particular uh, skin diseases, but um, it's a manifest in primarily in the disease, they think it's uh, associated with the rosacea. So it's a rosacea-like skin abnormalities. Demodex had been thought to be associated with blepharitis. Is it? Uh, it has, that has been uh, debatable. Uh, in the ophthalmology, uh, either textbook or literature, you will find a very uh, little um, description or even documentation about uh, the pathogenic role of Demodex in so-called blepharitis overall. If, if, I'm pretty sure you, when you go through the uh, resident training, the teaching, you know, in the blepharitis, the topic of blepharitis, for example, the demodex probably is seldom mentioned. Uh, at least that's my recollection. And, uh, and even in Duent, uh, the, the textbook, the, the, the name of demodex is uh, appear in less than a paragraph when the blepharitis uh, of the chapter is described. 
So it's been been thought to play a role, and yet very few people even can can pinpoint what exactly the Demodex is doing in birthritis. I think in part this controversy um, arises from two reasons. One is the Demodex is quite prevalent, as I said earlier, in the uh, older people. And then they don't necessarily um, will be symptomatic. In other words, uh, for example, the skin. You find the Demodex, but the patient may not even have any complaints of their skin being abnormal. And same can be said for the birthritis. Maybe someone finds the mice, but the patient could be totally asymptomatic. So that's one reason. Second problem is, uh, is the way to quantify the infestation. In the old uh, literature, there is a method how to sample the lashes and then trying to count the lashes where you may find the mites or not. The counting of the mites and correlate that with, uh, with the, uh, the breathritis. The result has been controversial. That means some people think there's a strong correlation and some say no. I think we came to <clears throat> study this subject in part because of this controversy. And uh, we, we, we thought one reason this controversy has been there to the point many of us decided to drop the subject entirely is because the, this quantitation method is questionable. The, the accuracy itself is questionable. You investigated the use of tea tree oil. What is tea tree oil? Well, we, before that, we, we, we asked the question about whether indeed there is a correlation. We, we, that's our first question. Uh, before even we, we, we jump into tea tree oil, is we want to make sure indeed Demodex is a clinically significant problem. So we did a first paper, published in 2005. We we trying to correlate the correlate frequently found in anterior birthritis. It's a sign. And uh, what is that? Uh, whether that's a, it's a sign of uh, Demodex infestation. So we then uh, look at the old quantitation method. We found out a lot of errors in, the, uh, in this old method. We improve upon it and use our improved method. We concluded um, and published that in the investigative ophthalmology that there is a strong correlation between the findings of uh, correlates we call cylindrical dandruff and uh, the, uh, the counting of mites uh, from the lashes that we, we sample. From there, we begin to wonder if we want to draw a positive relationship between the two, we ought to find a treatment that can eradicate Demodex. Otherwise, the correlation is simply is correlation, not necessarily positively associated. So for that reason, we decided to look into all the possible potential killing agents described in the literature or conceivably from the common knowledge that could do that. For example, the 70% alcohol or 10% 
COVID and iodine, which is we use to scrub our hands before surgery. Those are the things uh, know to be very potent antiseptic uh, for microbes, either bacteria, fungi, or other potential microbes. They can universally applicable to kill them. But we found surprisingly, Dimodex uh, can survive from this hardship of the of this uh, potential antiseptics. So we began search and search and then we identified the tea tree oil to be one potential agent that can kill Demodex using our in vitro assay, killing assay. And from there, we also find the dose dependency in, in tea tree oil for its killing effect. What is tea tree oil? Tea tree oil is a, it's a generic name uh, for uh, essential oil that uh, is uh, distilled from the leaf of uh, a tree called uh, Menoluca. Uh, this tree originally is, uh, is grown in, in, in Australia. The people, the aboriginals uh, in Australia uh, have, uh, have discovered the use of this uh, oil to, for many uh, treatments on the skin. Uh, for different kind of diseases, that's uh, it's known for for many centuries. And uh, the tea, the, the, it's a uh, if you take the leaves of different plants and go through this uh, distillation, right? You will get this essential oil out of this uh, particular plant. However, for this particular tree, the type of oil generated is being named as uh, tea tree oil. So it's just the name given for this particular uh, type of tree. And, uh, and later on, the many studies have been done for this particular oil, and, and lately the, the tea tree oil has been defined chemically to contain maybe around more than a dozen of ingredients, organic compounds, and then each has to have a certain range of concentration in order to be called as, uh, um, as a tea tree oil. So that has been unanimous. Uh, uh, the nomenclature now agreed from the, uh, by, uh, by, by the industry. Your treatment took place within the ocular surface center. What is that? Ocular surface center is my, uh, my private practice. Sheffer, can I get you to describe the design of this study? Sure. Uh, we have done the, actually two sets of study. Basically, we we have whenever we see as you know my practice is uh, only focused on patients with uh, complicated, uh, difficult ocular surface disease. Uh, it's a referral to practice. Only patient that uh, they most of the, uh, my community physician uh, colleagues like they feel they have trouble of sorting it out. They probably will send it to me. So I have. Uh, more than 10 years ago, when I was in Bascom Palmer, I was already interested in this disease. I was sampling lashes and trying to figure out the association. But I could not get to the point of uh, investigating uh, this disease until I had my own private practice. In this practice, I, I could see patients, um, fewer patients, and each with a longer period of time, and in part because the design of my clinic is such. 
so that I, I have more time to investigate to understand the uh, uh, different disease. And one of those disease, one of the disease I, well, I've been interested is happened to be uh, Demodex. So in this practice, what we basically do is whenever the patient showed up, when we work up them for all the different uh, potential uh, oculosis disease, if we identify them to have the uh, carolus or cylindrical dendrop, we will perform the microscopic uh, uh, diagnosis of the epilated lashes. If we uh, identify mites from the microscope, the patient's uh, symptoms, which we graded already by the history, we will propose to them the treatment of cleaning the lashes with uh, tea tree oil. And the reason we decided to offer that is because, uh, as I mentioned to you, you know, in vitro study, we already found out uh, the conventional treatment, which is a baby shampoo, lip scrub, could not kill the mites. It can clean the outside the skin, dandruff, but it cannot kill. In part, it cannot kill is because you cannot stimulate the mites to migrate out. When the mites, if they don't migrate out, you cannot kill them because um, they can continue to migrate out during the sleep time, during the time when we sleep. They migrate out, they will mate. And the life cycle started then when they mate, they will lay eggs and the eggs will become lava. Lava will turn to adult. And then, of course, eventually the adults will die in about the average two to three weeks. But because they continue to mate, essentially as we age, you tend to colonize more and more of mites in our body. And for some individuals or patients where the demodex infestation has got out of control, they can produce uh, all kinds of symptoms and also the abnormality on the ocular surface. So first, we first just look at the symptom. We have symptoms. We document their clinical signs. Mostly are inflammatory signs. Then we start cleaning. Then we clean, we clean, we have a regimen we clean, then we monitor the, the mites uh, uh, monthly until we see the, the counts drop to zero on two consecutive visits. Then we define that as the total eradication. So this is just a very arbitrary, non-control, uh, it's a uh, study, but not in the, uh, we retrospectively look at our experience. So it's a report based on our um, ongoing clinical treatment, but we look at that consecutively, look how what we are doing. So we report two papers up to now um, to describe the, what kind of clinical manifestation and what kind of uh, effect uh, after we treated. And we found a strong correlation in the improvement of symptoms and then resolution of inflammatory signs and, uh, and other changes, in even including the vision, in a subset of population that we have treated. Then later on, we even found some subset of patients who had um, uh, refractory rosacea uh, in the cornea finding. And then by treating them, the cornea finding also improved. That was the recent paper from HAO. So together, we just got very excited about uh, the something that had not been, um, been, been, somehow we feel it has been overlooked uh, in the past. 
even if you ask the many of our colleagues about the birth riders, why you use this crop, what you're trying to scrub, <laughs> I think very few will give you a clear answer. How did you establish that the patient's findings were attributable to Demodex? Uh, we don't know. We only can look back to say their symptoms, their findings disappear as a result of treatment, of course. You know, we don't have the control without treatment to say, if you don't treat it, will the symptoms continue? Uh, we have the cohort that uh, historical control we have in my practice. Patient has been described and so on. We use that as control, but it's not the contemporary control. How did you assess the Demodex load? Well, we, do, we have a method we publish about how to sample the lashes reliably and count them. Does the Demodex load correlate with the severity of disease? Uh, I cannot say for sure because uh, it depends on whether you have a system you can correlate the severity of the disease. For example, conjunctival inflammation, I use that example. The patient we have seen is that their inflammation cannot be even managed conventionally using conventional drugs, which could be anti, uh, anti-inflammatory like steroid, they could be antibacterial like antibiotics, they could be anti-allergy or they could be oral tetracycline. You know, the things you know you will use to treat this uh, ocular inflammation, but they have not responded to any of them or combination of them. That's the basis we look at them to say, okay, this is the, where you are, okay, then if we treat you by getting rid of your mice, could we see the improvement? How does tea tree oil work? The tea tree oil works on two ways. The, um, the first important way is to stimulate the mice to come out of the hair follicle, or in this case, lash uh, follicle. And we have demonstrated that from the microscopic uh, uh, evidence. And even we can see that crawling out to the skin under higher magnification. We published that. And uh, compared to that, the control, if you use uh, shampoo, you can clean the coralette outside the skin, but the mites stay in deep in the follicle. So that's uh, one important um, uh, mechanism. In other words, if you don't get, uh, don't get them out of it, they still have a chance at the, during the nighttime or other time they will mate, and they can continue to recover their population. So this is one reason. The second reason is that you ought to prevent their mating. You stimulate them out if you do not practice the, the daily uh, home scrub to clean the the. the on the lashes by, by some sort of cleaning solution. It could be shampoo or it could be just soap and water. You have to keep the environment clean so that when they come out, they cannot mate. That's the second important. Now, after we have done these two studies, we discovered the third important mechanism, which we have not instituted in our regimen yet. That is prevent reinfestation of the area which has been well treated because skin on the face still have the uh, still have the mites. We have not treated them because we didn't ask the patient to use tea tree oil on their face, right? So we only focus on around the eye. So if, if we stop it, we don't, we don't prevent the mites to crawl back to the lid, then 
down the road, you will see the recurrence of the infestation again. So that's the third, I think, important action mechanism we have to institute. So just now, this month, I begin to write an NIH grant proposal based on what we have learned so far. I intended to devise a new therapeutic regimen by addressing all these three elements. And hopefully, the, we will get a the, the, the fund to the support to, to do it in the, in the near future. What corneal findings were observed in these patients? Corneal findings are very interesting. We published in this uh, past month of May uh, the HAO uh, article. We found out the finding could be uh, neovascularization and uh, flectanular-like lesion, uh, like infiltrate. We can see the solderman nodule-like lesion and even some superficial scar if that disease. To the point, the patient actually referred to me as uh, having nimble stem cell deficiency and asked me to perform some sort of stem cell transplant. 50% of the patient in that study turns out that's the, what they, they, they were sus- that's kind of clinical picture. So in a way, it's a kind of very, uh, very, very difficult surface problem, and makes one to uh, suspect other disease, such even including stem cell deficiency. But turns out that's not what the patient has, because uh, by treating the getting rid of mice, uh, the vascularization can disappear, and the epithelium can become better. And there's no cytological evidence of, you know, of conjunctivalization, uh, which is the hallmark of lymphocentral deficiency. So to us, it's a very surprising finding that the cornea we will call many things else. Turns out they, they seem to can, can be caused by or contributed. The pathology can be uh, aggravated because the mite, uh, the presence of the mites. You know that mites uh, also can, can be very allergic um, they, they throw out a lot of inflammation in the system. And uh, if some individual is extremely allergic to mice, uh, you know, in the patient with uh, bronchial asthma, some of them are very allergic to house dust. So if they have this intrinsic uh, allergic nature, maybe those folks uh, tend to develop a very severe or, or inflammation disproportional to the amount of mites that, that, that colonize in the lids or the lashes. So I'm beginning to wonder uh, how much we know about our ocular environment. Should we treat the mites as a normal flora and live with it and thinking this is just no big deal? Or could this actually contribute significantly to our masquerading some of the ocular information? Now, on that same topic, one patient with flectinulosis from the study improved. Flectinulosis is a type 4 hypersensitivity reaction. Is the source of the antigen that's eliciting this response the demodex itself? Uh, this we don't know, but I, we, we certainly want to suspect that. You know, the, the um, type 4 uh, uh, hypersensitivity, the late-type hypersensitivity, some sort of antigen has to be presented to the immune system. The, uh, the question, the antigen has been uh, named to come from even TB or 
uh, other uh, microorganisms like a staph, but the, 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 whether it could be the debris or the, the, of the demodex when they die, and uh, that could be allergic or not, we don't know. Um, but certainly we suspect it could. But the other theory in dermatology, they believe is the demodex may, may serve as a vector to bring the bacteria into deeper part of the skin by carrying them into it. That's really interesting. Now, in patients with meibomian gland dysfunction and demodex overgrowth, which is the chicken and which is the egg? Does meibomian gland dysfunction create an environment that is favorable to the demodex, or does the demodex produce the meibomian gland dysfunction, or do the two potentiate each other? I have seen personally the uh, meibomian gland disease caused by it because I have, uh, I have a couple of cases um, I did a very thorough investigation on it, even, even one case that has the biopsy data. Um, I personally think it, since the, in the skin the literature, Demodex uh, have been in, uh, incriminated uh, to cause the different kind of sebaceous gland abnormalities. So I have no doubt it could do the same to the meibomian glands. Now, I'm not saying all the meibomian glands are caused by demodex. I'm simply to say, I simply would like to say that um, the, the demodex could contribute to the meibomian gland dysfunction. As a matter of fact, all the patients we have studied in this uh, two, two reports, they, they all have some sort of meibomian gland dysfunction. We document that by the tear interference images. Uh, where the lipid tear film uh, has been severely distorted before treatment. And amazingly, uh, a substantial number of them, the tear film would revert to normal pattern uh, after treatment. Just to clarify your point, it's possible that the meibomian gland dysfunction creates an environment that's favorable to the demodex. It's also possible that the demodex is fostering the development of the meibomian gland dysfunction. I think that the both could be the case, but uh, I personally would like to think uh, the demodex could be the causative agent uh, leading to this uh, slowly progressive we call meibomian gland dysfunction, which is age-dependent degeneration. And we know very little. Everybody seems to know we all have some of it. But uh, could this be a, a process that's been slowly progressively caused by this uh, infestation because we, that's the only agent that is known to go there and then create inflammation there. What role does Demodex brevis play? Bembus brevis is uh, more notorious because in our second paper, we call the cornea manifestation, we found 50% of our patient has Demodex brevis. Remember, Demodex brevis is thought to be affecting the meibomian gland or sebaceous gland. You should not be able to sample that by putting out the lashes. Lashes are supposed to have only hair follicle and then you get the folliculorum. So in, the, in this group, we get 50% Demodex brevis. When we sample that, not without cornea manifestation, we, don't, we find that the Demodex brevis is less than uh, 8% or, or 5% of the total population we sample. In other words, the infrequent finding. But in, with cornea manifestation, we found 
although it's a small sample size of six, but the high prevalence of um, of Dimadex brevis prompted me to speculate that the brevis may have different pathogenic potential. When you instruct patients to do lid scrubs, how do you tell them to do it? Okay. I first of all, when we use tea tree oil, because the, the highest concentration we use, we feel more comfortable. It's for us to do the scrub and instead of asking the patient to do it at home because I'm afraid this uh, uh, solution may cause uh, ocular irritation or even damage if it gets, if it gets inside the eye. So I literally perform the lid scrub in the office weekly for the patient during that study. So that basically we use, we use the Q-tip and then we scrub the lashes from one end to the other and, and follow the four lids. Interestingly enough, this particular solution has a very, it's very easy to clean the lids. Unlike the shampoo, you have to literally scrub very hard. But the tea tree oil is very easy to just a few gentle scrubs, the whole thing just slop off. And uh, of course, it does cause some irritation on the skin. We also mentioned that in our paper. But that is transient, so long you don't get the inside the eye. When we ask the patient to do on the home scrub uh, to clean the eye, we, we just simply ask them to, to do it with their fingers. As, uh, as you, you probably already know so far, we believe we can clean the, with this weekly scrub easily and the mice are coming out, all they have to do is just prevent the, the, the mating. And that can be easily done by uh, shampoo or soap or, or, or any kind of cleansing solution, just the rubbing on the lashes and wash, and, and wash the face, clean the environment, and uh, the, then lower down the chance the mice will meet each other. So that's uh, the ideal. So the scrub becomes uh, rather simple. Of course, uh, that can be also done more vigorously at home by using either Q-tip or face cloth or, or some sort of uh, scrub available from the uh, over-the-counter uh, preparation. But I think they all should do well for the, the home scrub. But the, the difference is that you need to you know, stimulate to them to come out first. Uh, if there's no such uh, as, uh, external uh, treatment to bring them out, it will be hard to get the effect that uh, we, 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 we described. Having learned what you've learned from this study, what do you do now in your own practice? Uh, at this moment, my practice is still the, the same as we have reported. We first, we always look at the patient carefully. Uh, we still follow all the conventional history taking, external examination, sneeze examination. However, in the patient, if we found on the cylindrical dandruff or colorless in the lashes, we will encourage the patient to have the lashes uh, uh, sampled and look at under the microscope. And we have still uh, continue to demonstrate that the, this particular sign is uh, pathognomic for ocular demodex infestation. So we feel very comfortable. Once we have that made, we will discuss to the patient that uh, this particular treatment based on our report. And the patients, uh, generally, most of them will agree for, uh, for the treatment. So then we go through the same regimen. We will clean weekly in the office and daily at home. They will do their scrub. Then we look at them 
uh, periodically to see what kind of improvement made. So that's still our current practice. But we hope to develop something more, become hopefully one day it will be FDA approved the product uh, so that the, the patient can use that at home and uh, not uh, something they have to go to the doctor's office to do it. And that will incorporate the, the, the three, three elements I described to you earlier is to develop a regimen that can stimulate them to come out, prevent their making, and prevent the reinfestation from the surrounding tissue. These three things, I think, need to be incorporated in the new regimen. Sheffer, is there anything more that you'd like to add? I would say this, uh, that because um, it is not well understood or studied the topic, I think that uh, uh, I would still favor the uh, some reservation of our finding will invite that uh, should warrant uh, more investigation from many other folk, uh, colleagues to see whether our findings uh, can be verified. But I do think the, this is an area has been overlooked, and should uh, should we uh, find uh, eventually discover this to be true, uh, then I think this should open up a. Uh, potential uh, new treatment for a disease that we've been, a lot of patients been uh, suffering actually, and uh, we tend to regard it as an aging process and uh, do very little, and then when they get older, uh, we all seem to have some sort of ocular irritation. I think this is maybe something can be preventable. Shefford Tseng, thank you so much. Uh, you're very welcome. Shefford Tseng is director of the Ocular Surface Center and Medical Director of Ocular Surface and Research and Education Foundation Director, R&D Department of Tissue Tech in Miami, Florida. His paper, Corneal Manifestations of Ocular Demodex Infestation, appears in the May 2007 issue of the American Journal of Ophthalmology. Ask questions of Dr. Tsang or any of our previous guests or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Call our listener response lines in the United States style area code 646-808-0231. In the United Kingdom dial 020-7558-8275 or Skype JYoungMD. Those numbers can be found on our website, asseenfromhere.com. As Seen From Here is a production of the New Media Project of the NYU School of Medicine and the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery and is edited by Joe Fry. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.